0: So today we dive back into Jeremiah, which is a challenge for me at least, because I'm not nearly as comfortable in the prophets as I am, say, in the Gospels. So Jeremiah is going to be our focus. Um, It's a large book. We're not even going to come close to getting into all of the chapters. So I do encourage you, if you would like a good challenge, um, to read Jeremiah as we move through it. We'll be moving through... In chronolo- well not chronological order we'll be moving through in the chapter order but Jeremiah was not written chronologically so that's, keep that in mind with the prophets um, his ministry just by way of brief reintroduction to this text um, Jeremiah's ministry was somewhere around 627 to 587 BC so he is one of God's prophets at a time when the kings are getting to, coming to their end Because what's happening is that the people and the rulers are continually rebelling against God. Judgment is coming upon, has already come upon Israel actually. And by the time Jeremiah is doing most of his ministry. And Judah is next with Jerusalem, which is the capital. And um, Jeremiah is called to speak during all of this. You'll see as we get into the text today that he actually begins during a time when there was some major reform by King Josiah. One of the few bright spots in a long list of kings. And you can read about him in Kings. And he is trying to bring people back to God, rediscovering the law. So Jeremiah is speaking during that time, but also during the time of some other kings. So this is what's going on. He actually will um, live through and preach, if you will, for lack of a better term, prophesy through the uh, fall of Jerusalem and the exile. Of uh, many of the people. So, this is what um, Jeremiah is speaking into, sort of the context. He's the son of a priest. He's generally treated pretty poorly. What makes him interesting as a prophet, in terms of the book actually, as a prophet, is that most of it was written down by his companion or scribe, um, Baruch. And so, we get a little bit of his memoirs in there. We get a lot of oracles against. Jerusalem and or Israel and Judah and Jerusalem, also oracles against foreign nations. But Jeremiah includes some stuff we don't often get with the prophets, which is a little bit of his own wrestling and struggle with God, which is quite refreshing, many of us find because this is, these are the things we experience. And here's a prophet who is hearing God's voice so clearly, and he's struggling and he's wrestling. And then also you get to see how um, we hear some of how he's being treated. We often hear in the the Bible that God's prophets were treated poorly. But we get to read about some of how that happens to Jeremiah. So today we're going to be going back to Jeremiah 1. We we, We used chapter 12 last week as an introduction. But today we're going to be going back to the beginning of Jeremiah. Reading verses 1 through 10. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms. To pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, as we come to Jeremiah's text, we know, Lord, that this is your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. And as far as our distance is from his context and his time... We believe, God, that there is much you want to say to us as we meditate on it. May that be so today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I found it very intriguing and not at all surprising as I went through the beginning of this text in Jeremiah that we see a very clear pattern, and I just want to point it out so you know I'm not totally making this stuff up, to the series we just did on the Gospel Foundation, right? We ask the questions, who is God? And God speaks to Jeremiah. And in verse 5, He says, before I formed you in the womb. who's God here, He's Creator, isn't He? Before Jeremiah was born, what has God done? He says, before I formed you, I consecrated you. I, I anointed you, I set you aside for something special. That's what God has done. So, who is Jeremiah? Well, God says in verse 5, I consecrated you to be a prophet to the nations. Okay, not just to Israel. You're going to be my worldwide prophet, Jeremiah. This is who you are. And then, um, what is Jeremiah to do? Because we ask these questions. This is in the same order we ask. And in verse 6, he says, You're going to go to whomever I send you, and you're going to speak whatever I tell you to do. This is what you're to do, Jeremiah. And then we ask the question, how do you do it? And there's that beautiful thing where God reaches out and touches Jeremiah's mouth, and he says, um, don't be afraid, I'm here to deliver you, and I've put my words in your mouth, verse eight, the end of verse 8. So you see that pattern, that even back in the Old Testament, this is important, because Jeremiah is resisting, and God's saying, let me set the foundation for you, Jeremiah. Before you were even... You know, knit together in the womb, I knew you. How is that possible? That's beyond our scope of understanding, isn't it? This is God. So let's move on and let's look at Jeremiah's reluctance in this passage, which I find extremely intriguing. Only because I experience this so often in my life, whenever I feel like God is asking me to do something. And it's a pattern we see throughout scripture over and over. Because Jeremiah says, in response to God, this very limiting word, only. God, I'm only a boy. You're calling me, but I'm nothing more than this. I don't have anything really to offer. It's another way of saying, God, you're creator, but you got this one wrong. You messed up in this case, wrong address. Return to sender, go find somebody else. And we have this story so often in scripture. Moses, when God speaks to him in a burning bush that doesn't get burned up, I think, you know, that sets you back a little bit. And he goes, Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. And Moses says, uh, God, you messed up. I can't talk. Well, and he's talking about speaking in front of people. Which, by the way, is the objection that every single pastor I have ever known has said when they thought they were being called into ministry, which was, I do not like to or I don't want to speak in front of people. Isn't that interesting? It hasn't changed in some ways. Or I'm sure many of you, many of us, if not all of us, have experienced this. King David, when um, God was sending out Samuel to find the king, the next king, he's going around... And he comes to David's family. And even David's own family doesn't consider David to be a potential candidate for king. Not worthy. He's just a shepherd boy. He's the youngest. He's out with the sheep. He's only a boy. Right? And Goliath stands and mocks him. You send out only a boy to me. Right? And God, through his power, takes care of it. This story is throughout scripture. And so here is one of the most famous of God's prophets who will write... And speak scripture that will be contained and translated into almost every language on earth and maintained for millennia. And he says to God, God, I'm just a boy. Only a boy. Got it wrong. The Apostle Paul, by the way, also said he didn't think consider himself to be a good speaker. If you didn't know that, that's also in one of his letters. He says, he's saying, you know, I I know when I come to you, you're saying I don't speak very well. I don't have a lot of good presence. (laughs) But he's saying, I'm going to come to you with God's power. That's what Paul says when he's speaking to some of the churches. Isn't it fascinating that God so often, if not always, calls those who don't think very highly of themselves? What is that about? Thinking, uh, just just as I thought about that, I thought about this woman who poured out the perfume on Jesus' feet. We think maybe it was one of the Marys, one of the scripture narratives that they go together. And it's very interesting, if you want to read about this in Matthew 26, the way Matthew puts the story together. He has this woman who comes and pours out this perfume on Jesus' feet. And, you know, people are, there's different responses, but one of the responses in Matthew is, What a waste of money! What a foolish woman, wasting all this money and very righteously say, we could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. Right? Good, good churchy answer there. And Jesus says, essentially, wherever the story of the gospel is preached, this woman's story will be told because of what she did. Isn't that interesting? So unlikely, and yet Jesus says, she's going to be talked about forever with my story. And Matthew contrasts it very closely with Judas. And so we have, and one of the, the, um, John actually says that it was Judas who was the one who said, Why are you wasting this perfume? You could have sold it and given it to the poor. That he's the one who says that. The ones who we don't think much of, or the woman at the well. Who's a Samaritan and a woman, and Jesus shouldn't be talking to her, and she's had many husbands, and she's one of the first missionaries we read about in Scripture because Jesus says, Go back to your village, and she goes back and she tells everybody, and they all come out to hear Jesus and to see Him. It's unlikely. If you run into somebody that thinks they're God's gift to humanity, I can guarantee you they are not. I will stick by that, I think, till my dying day. If you run into somebody that thinks they're God's gift to humanity, I can guarantee you they are not. Because this is not how our God works. God is the gift. And God uses people who are willing to humble themselves. So Jeremiah was wrong, however. He is not only a boy. And God points this out to him. He says, Jeremiah, you think you're only a boy, except let me tell you, I planned you. Before you were even in your mom's womb, I thought of you, I needed you, I made you. You were my idea, my plan. So don't tell me you're only a boy. Do you know how long I've waited for you, Jeremiah? And now you're here and I'm telling you your plan and you're saying you're only a boy. But Jeremiah was only a boy, but he was wrong in thinking he was only a boy because he needed a vision of who God was calling him to be and what God had called him to be. This is, this is our story. This is the story of everyone who's encountered the holy God, and who's been forgiven by Jesus, who understands that when we say we want to be a disciple, that we're being called to something that is impossible for us. That is so much bigger than us. And so we have so many excuses. I'm not a pastor. I can't disciple people or argue about scripture. By the way, you know what pastors say? Because I'm going to a pastor's conference this week. They go, oh wow, listen to those theologians who are speaking. Because we're going to hear some great preachers. I'm not a theologian. I'm just a pastor. I've heard pastors say this. i thought this many times myself, right? Where we say, I'm too young. This was, you know, for you guys over there, that was one of the things I struggled with when I was younger, and so I held on to um, Paul's message to first, in First Timothy 4.12, where he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in conduct and love and faith and purity. I've said many, many times that I have ran into very elderly Christians who have much less spiritual maturity than some of the 12, 13-year-old Christians I know. It's true. Spiritual maturity is not based on age. I'm too young is a good excuse. I'm too old is an excuse. And that that is a culture excuse, by the way, because our culture wants to discard everyone who enters retirement and say, you've kind of done your job and... Now go play and have fun, but we don't really need you for anything anymore. So, bye. You know, we have, we have a crisis that is, is growing as baby boomers into retirement um, and in their later years because we don't know how to take advantage of the wisdom and the wealth of resources we have in our seniors. We don't know what to do except to put them away and say, just kind of do your thing. And we'll continue with life over here. And the church is not supposed to be like this. You don't ever retire from being a disciple. It doesn't work that way in God's economy. If anything, you become more valuable because of what you've experienced. Discipleship is all about saying, hey, I've walked that road. Why don't you come walk with me? And I'll share some of my wisdom with you, the little I have. So, Apostle Paul tells the churches, he says, "You follow me as I follow Jesus." He doesn't say I've got it right. He's like, "I'm going this direction. I've been there. Why don't you follow me?" That's discipleship. Another excuse that we use all the time: "I'm too busy." Which, by the way, retirees say this too, right? <laughs> "I'm too busy." The question is, what are we so busy doing? We've talked about this a lot with missional communities because one of the responses I get from other churches when I talk about trying to do a church with missional communities is they say, how do you do that? How do you do? Because how do people find time? And I say, well, for one thing, we're not expecting people to come down to the church building every night and be a part of this meeting, and that meeting, and this meeting, and running men's ministries, and women's ministries, and youth ministries, and you know, on and on and on, because we want people to have the freedom to be able to live out their mission where God has placed them. So often, at church, we do the opposite. We have people who come, and they become believers, and we baptize them, and then we say, by the way, leave all of those friends and all those people behind, and come spend all of your time doing church program stuff. The problem with that is that we just took them right out of the mission field. So we need to change this. We're waking up to this. And when I say we, I don't mean just this church. I mean, the Christian church in the United States across denominations is waking up to this. This is the conversation they're having, is how do we equip and free people to be the church in the places where they're spending all their time? If you're a kid and you're spending your time in school, okay, that's your mission field. If you're an adult and you're working 40 plus hours a week, That's your mission field. Your neighbors, who you see when you have a day off and you're grilling in the backyard, that's your mission field. We have so many excuses, and we could go on and on and on. So when we read Jeremiah going, God, I think you made a mistake. I'm just a boy. We can hear that. We understand that. And by the way, we're wrong too, just like Jeremiah was wrong. That word only is so limiting. We are not only anything. Jesus said you can do all things through, I mean, the scriptures say we can do all things through Christ, right? Nothing will be impossible. The word vocation actually has a root in this, this Latin word vocare, which means to be called or to call. So we've taken vocation oftentimes, and we've sort of used that for your job. But Christians have always understood vocation to be so much deeper than that. You have your job, but your vocation, your calling, transcends whatever job you have. You have five, six, seven different jobs in your career? That's right. Your vocation, your calling, does not change. We have a purpose that was ordained, before we were ever even inside the womb. This should help us think differently about our life. If this is true, if you believe this, and I believe this is true not just of Jeremiah, but this is true of all of us. This is one of the major tenets of the Reformed faith. This idea that God calls before we're even capable of understanding. That God ordains, that God elects before we know it. So if you believe that that God had a purpose for you and he planned you and your purpose before you were even born just think about that for a minute. We're not just another human knockoff in God's assembly line. We were uniquely created to do something that nobody else could do. So comparison has to go out because it's silly. We can't compare our plan and our purpose to the one of uh, the person next to us because they're not the same. God needed us to be different. He needed a different plan and a different purpose. The reason we begin to think poorly about ourselves is because we have bought into the lies. And they are lies of the evil one. They are lies of Satan. I don't say that often, but here I, I need us to hear that. The lie that we are not good enough the lie that we we cannot possibly be used by God that is one of the greatest lies because if we buy into that lie then we lose the mission i mean think about this if you were opposed to god's plan what could be better than convincing the people who have to carry out god's plan that they're not capable of doing it then you win Right? So don't believe those lies. We need to hear God's word. Okay. How do we do it? How do we do it? If, if you accept some of what I'm saying, which I accept for myself, which is that we often, when we hear God's call, limit ourselves and say, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Here's my list of excuses. And if we accept that God has a plan and a purpose for us that nobody else is going to do, that was uniquely created and designed we were uniquely created and designed to fulfill, then how do we get past these barriers and these roadblocks? For me, I'm sure there's other answers, but I don't think there's a better way than saying we have to spend time meditating on God's Word. This, this is what is going to give us clarity. This is what is going to give us understanding. This is when the Spirit can speak to us and remind us. And there's so many ways to do it. But we have to be able to hear beyond the noise we hear everywhere else. When we open God's Word, it's not just a text. The Holy Spirit engages us. And today, more than any other time, especially if you're an English language speaker, we have so many resources for doing this. Grab one that works for you. You know, I mentioned before, I like to use the lectionary. Because the lectionary, there's a daily lectionary that has snippets of readings From Old Testament, Psalms, um, Paul's letters and the Gospels every day. And they're short, they're readable, and you can go through them. You can get the lectionary in audio form if you don't want to actually read it. You can use something like Pray As You Go, which is a great app you can get for your phone. It's another tool I often use when I'm driving. It's done by the Jesuit um, branch of the Catholic Church. And it's very much... um, Reading again their lectionary readings and then asking you to sort of meditate and lots of time for just sort of contemplation, thinking about the questions they ask as they engage the text. Simple tool, doesn't take very long. You can use it with your headphones in or speakerphone in your car. You could use a technique that I have used through much of my life, which a pastor, when I was a young man, told me he called the PBJ way of approaching study in this in uh, time which was prayer bible and journal because you see prayer is an important component of this that's why I pray as you go has prayer built into that meditation because it's not just that we're hearing but we're also in conversation with god we're speaking back to him and we begin to hear those things you express those things god i hear this but i don't think i can do it i mean to verbalize those things to God are so important, that's what prayer is about. So PBJ was prayer, Bible, and journal. And the journaling part was a key for me for a long time. Because I needed a way to sort of process. I needed a way to um, doodle and draw out some of the things I was thinking sometimes. And so I would do some scripture reading, I would do some prayer, and then I would do some journaling. And then a lot of times I would go back and read my journal. And that became a part of my devotion. But if we're going to overcome All this noise and all the lies and deception that says we are really not God's missionaries. We're really not designed to be doing something unique for God. We're going to get past that. We have to hear God's voice. We've got to find a way to do that. Let's pray. Father, it is a challenge for us to see ourselves as you see us. It's exciting to know that you have given us a purpose, and yet, with that often also comes guilt. So, Lord, help us to see how you're already using us. Help us to get excited about the way you want to use our passions for you. Father, help us to get past the lies that would tell us we're not good enough and not capable. To hear your voice clearly. Father, give us your Holy Spirit. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.